Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Come on in and uh, let's find your seat. And I uh, hope you've had a great uh, day here at Southland today and a uh, first day of 2020. And uh, still a lot of great stuff planned for you today, this afternoon, and then they'll have our fun time uh, later tonight and our other service and some good food. So looking forward to have a great, great time together. Uh, for our afternoon session, I just wanted to introduce to you a, a man that travels with me. His name is Austin Berge, and he will have an opportunity uh, to speak to you in just a, a moment here, but I wanted you to have an opportunity to get to know him, and he travels with us, and he uh, helps out with our music, and uh, he uh, preaches to the teens in their Sunday school every week, and preaches to the kids every night, and uh, just a man who has given himself to the Lord, and has a heart for the Lord, and has a heart really for you campers, and uh, he wants to see you grow and you change to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he just has a heart and a burden for you guys. And I know you'd be greatly blessed uh, by him as he travels with us. And uh, he's with me here this week. So he'll have an opportunity to open up God's word to you. So uh, get your Bibles out and get ready to be blessed. And we'll have uh, Austin Berge come and share the word with us. All right. Well, good afternoon, guys. It's great to be able to have the opportunity to speak to you all today. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Again, Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning, or I guess afternoon now. Um, like Ron said, my name is Austin Berge. I get to travel the country with him and his family. We have a lot of fun. Um, it's great to be back here at Southland, though. Some of you guys I know from this past summer on the red team. How many of you guys were on the K-Blasters this summer? All right, I love seeing the representation. There we go. And uh, it's great to have gotten to meet a lot of new faces this week. I hope you're enjoying your time. You're having a lot of fun, but more than anything, I hope you're learning from God's word this week, and I hope you're not just learning, but you're letting it change you. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Now, the first mention of Philippi, as we get started, is found in Acts 16 in the Bible. And this is on Paul's second missionary journey. He travels there with Silas, and together they begin to evangelize this Roman colony. When they get there, there's very few Jewish people, so there's no synagogue to go to, which is Paul's first stop, typically. And so he just starts going around the city preaching. Um, very quickly, he leads Lydia and her family to the Lord, and they start basing their operations out of Lydia's house. And so they're in Lydia's house, they're going out preaching, and as you heard from Ron this morning, a demon-possessed girl began to follow them around, and basically she was harassing them, and it got to the point that Paul actually called the demon to be cast out of her. And so the people that owned that slave girl were angered by that, and they had Paul and Silas thrown into prison. Now you guys may know that that is where Paul and Silas at midnight prayed to God and they began to sing and as they sang, God brought on an earthquake that opened all the prison doors 
And as the, as the prison doors were swinging open, that jailer opened his eyes, he had been asleep. He saw what was going on and he took his sword and went to commit suicide. But as he did, Paul and Silas said, hey, stop. They said, you don't have to do that. And he was like, why? And they said, nobody's left. And his immediate response is, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so right then and there, Paul and Silas led him and his family to the Lord. Those are the only two families that we know of in Philippi that were converted um, that are named for us in scripture. And then within a few days, once people realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had been illegally imprisoned, they begged him to leave. So Paul and Silas hit the road, leaving these two families and maybe a few other converts to fend for themselves and start their church. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a recipe for success in a church to, to literally have people that just got saved within a matter of days and hit the road on them like that. And yet, this, this book is written eight years later And so eight years have passed and Paul has been given reports that the church at Philippi has not only survived, but it has now started to grow. And as they have grown, so has their opposition. They're now facing persecution from outside the church and within the church. Now there's two women named Yodius and Syntyche who have basically pitted the church in half against itself and they are now causing this major conflict that Paul has to address. And here in chapter two, He's saying, guys, I've heard there's disunity amongst you and that's not something that should be here. He says, you guys need to stop fighting together. You need to to start working together, but you need to work around a common cause. And that cause is what we're gonna look at today. It's serving like Christ. And so if you're there with me in Philippians 2, 1 through 8, let's go ahead and read this together. Paul says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, If any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray to start this off. Lord, we're thankful for the time we have together. We're thankful for uh, the things that we've seen you do already this week. We're thankful for Southland and the impact they've had in so many lives here and including my own. Lord, I pray that as we have this time together and we look at your word that we wouldn't just be hearers this morning, but Lord, we'd be doers of your word. Lord, I pray that as a result of this message that hearts would be encouraged, that lives would be challenged and changed and that we would walk out of here ready to serve you in a, in a new way. Going this new year that we would be on fire for you in your name. Amen. Now the first thing that stands out with this passage right off the bat is Paul is challenging them to be unified. Now keep in mind, every person in that church is different. Look around in this room here today. Do you see anybody wearing the same exact outfit as you? Anybody see someone that's wearing the same exact outfit as them? No, I don't think anybody sees that. Does anybody see someone that looks identical to them? Now if you have identical twins in the room, you know, you guys right there, you look pretty similar, but for the most part, nobody in here is identical, right? Every single one in this room is unique in their own way. Everybody in here has their own interests. How many of you guys would say that your favorite hobby is playing sports? How many of you guys would say, yeah, that's my hobby right there? How many of you would say, you know, my favorite hobby is playing video games or something like that? 
Yeah, there we go. How many of you guys would say, my favorite hobby is maybe playing music, is um, doing something along those lines? How many of you guys would say, I'm academically inclined for some reason, I don't know why, I just absolutely love studying, I love getting good grades, and so like that's my passion in life is being an A student. You know, but some people out there are like that. Every single person in this room is different. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had the opportunity to go to West Point Military Academy. It was a really neat opportunity. We got to go with a cadet onto the campus, and we got to tour that campus. And it's a really, really neat place. If you ever get the chance, uh, I highly encourage you to go there. It's really cool. And um, when we were there, it was a couple weeks before they were playing Navy. And all over that campus, everywhere that you looked, there were signs that said, beat Navy. You guys ever watched the Army-Navy game? How many of you guys have watched that before? Now this year it was ironic because they lost, but it was fun being there and seeing all that. We got to go onto the football field. We got to see the football players practice, and um, they were really gearing up for that game. Now let me ask you this. The Army and the Navy and the Air Force, they all say that their, their college, that their institution is the best. They would say, the Army people, when you ask them, what do you think about the Navy's academy? They just trash it, man. It's hilarious. They have so many bad things to say about it and why you shouldn't be at Navy. You should be at West Point. And yet, here they go on this football field and those two groups, they, they pit against each other. But when it comes to the point that they go to war, do they care whether they're Army and Navy anymore? Now, if they're in a gunfight and the Army needs the Navy's help, is the Navy gonna say, no, you beat us in football last year. We're not helping you guys. Is that how it works? No, they're all on the same team, right? Now, they might be different. There might be unique things about each and every one of the people on that battlefield, but when it comes time to go to war, those men are gonna work together. They're gonna put their differences aside and they're gonna unite around a common cause. And in warfare, that common cause is defeating their enemy. In this passage, Paul is challenging them to do the same thing. He's challenging them to be unified around a common cause, and we're gonna look at it today, and that common cause is serving like Christ. So let's go ahead, let's look at verse number three, or let's start with verse number two. Here Paul says, fulfill ye my joy. That word fulfill means to complete. He's saying, guys, complete my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's saying, guys, you need to work together. You need to think together. You need to put your differences aside and rally around this common cause. And in verse number three, we see he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now the word strife has the idea of doing something to compete with someone else. Now what Paul's not saying is if you're playing basketball that you should kill over dead and let them you know, just run the score up on you, you lose the game every time. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you guys need to stop doing good things to try to one up somebody else. This is something that I think as a teenager, I struggle with, I'm sure that we've all struggled with that here in this room at some point or another. You see someone else get recognition for something that they did and your immediate response is not to be happy for them but to say, man, how come they get that recognition? I'm a better person than they are, so what do I do? I try to do something to one-up them. I try to do something to look better than they are. And next thing I know, I get the praise and they don't get it anymore and I'm happy. Is that pleasing to God when that's my motivation? No, of course not. Paul's saying you cannot do things to try to one-up someone else, to try to pit yourself against another brother or sister in Christ to look good. He says also to not do anything through vain glory. 
Now, vainglory is the idea of doing something so that other people recognize how good you are. And I think teenagers, we all know what it, we all know how to play church, how to do things to look good, but really on the inside, we're nowhere even close to God, and this is something that we've all done to some at some point or another. For me in high school, I remember my dad was a very good singer in our church, and every single time that uh, it came time for like a kid to get old enough to sing in the choir, when it was my turn, all I kept hearing was, you're Todd Berge's son, you better join that choir because your dad is a good singer, so you should be in the choir too. I didn't wanna be in the choir, but everybody kept saying, you should be in the choir because you're Todd Berge's son. And I resented the idea of being in the choir, but I joined the choir not because I wanted to serve God, but because I didn't want people to be upset with me. I joined the choir just so people would look at Austin Berge and say, look at that kid, he's serving like he's supposed to. I didn't want them to be disappointed in me. And we all do this, whether it's in school, you know, you're doing something good, but you're only doing it to try to, you know, suck up to a teacher so that eventually that teacher will give you some sort of favor. It could be in your home that you're doing good things, but you're just doing it because you want your parents to reward you. Uh, it could be something even in your own church, in your youth group, where you're acting a certain way around your youth pastor, around your pastor, so that they think highly of you, and really on the inside, that's not who you are. Paul's saying in this passage, he's saying if that's what you're doing, you need to cut that out of your life. He says you need to stop doing that, but according to the second part of verse number three, he says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now that word lowliness of mind, if you translate it through very literally in Greek, could have the idea of being carpet minded. Now I'm gonna ask for a little bit of participation here so I need someone to help me out. What do we do with carpet? Do we put it on a ceiling, on the wall, on the floor? Where do we put it? We put it on the floor. Why do we put it on the floor? What's the purpose of carpet? It's comfortable, something to walk on, correct. We don't put carpet on a ceiling because that's not what its intended purpose is for. Carpet is on the floor for us to walk on, right? And so in this passage, Paul is saying that that is the mentality that we're supposed to have. Carpet is always below things. That's the mentality that we're supposed to have, that we are lowliness of mind, that we are lowering our opinion of ourselves. It doesn't mean beating up on yourself, telling yourself you're a loser, but it does mean you get to the point where you say, you know what, I'm not as important as I think I am. I'm gonna lower my opinion of myself and I'm gonna raise the opinion of those around me. That's what Paul's challenging them to do here. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He's saying stop focusing on yourself and start focusing on other people. You know, something that we all struggle with on a regular basis is we look at other people and we say, they're a good person, but. You know, they're, they're, they might seem godly, but you don't know them like I know them. Oh, you know what, they seem really nice, but I've got a bad feeling about them. Or, you know what, that person, they look really good to everybody else, but they're not as good as I am. We've all done that before, haven't we? I think we can all nod our heads in agreement on that. We've done that one before, for sure. And, but at the end of the day, let me ask you this. When you look at someone else, can you hang on in their life? I know exactly where they are at spiritually, yes or no? No. Let me ask you this. When you look at yourself, can you say that? Can you say, I know exactly where I'm at spiritually? Right, because you know yourself. All of us know that we are sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It also says there is none righteous, no, not one. When I look at myself, I know the bad things I'm doing. 
And yet it's so easy for me to look at myself and see my flaws and overlook them and say, you know what, they're not that bad, but the moment I see a problem in someone else, I say, man, they're a failure of a Christian. They're nowhere near being where I am spiritually. How dare I say that when I don't even know where they're at and yet I know far well that I'm not as godly as I like to think I am. One of the problems in Christianity today is we look at other people and we never forgive them for their faults and we look at ourselves and we just let them go immediately. That's a big problem in teenage circles. It's a big problem with adults. It's a big problem with people my age is we look at other people and we never let go of the past. We never let go of their one failure that we know about and yet as soon as we mess up, we put it aside and yet we try to brush it off and make ourselves look better than everybody else. But Paul's saying that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to have a lower opinion of yourself than you do the people around you. You're supposed to elevate them. You're not supposed to look for the bad in other people. You're supposed to look for the good. And he says, but if you're gonna do this, then you need to rally around an example. Now, how many of you guys have had to do a problem in school and your teacher puts a problem on the board, right? You guys have all been there before. When you guys are in that situation, seeing that problem on the board is a great reference point, isn't it? It's nice to be able to see the problem and go, okay, so how did my teacher figure that out? Okay, they did that, and then that was the second step, the third step, and then eventually it got to the solution. So if that's how it works for that problem, that's how it's gonna work on my homework. If your teacher didn't have the example up there for you to see, you wouldn't really have a very good idea of how to accomplish the task that's being assigned to you in your homework. The same is true for us spiritually. And we not only have a decent example, we have the best example, and that is Jesus Christ. In verse number five, it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now God, Jesus Christ is 100% God, He's 100% man, but as 100% God, he has the right to view himself as God. Is there anybody that comes close to God on the totem pole, so to speak? No, God is far and above any other being that's ever been made, and guess what? He created all the other ones. God is far and above better than us. He's better than the angels. He's better than you know Donald Trump. He's better than any ruler in our, in our society today. He's better than celebrities. He's better than athletes. Doesn't matter who you're talking about. God is infinitely higher than anybody else that we can possibly think of. And yet even though Jesus Christ had every reason to look down at us and look down on us in, in a way where he's looking at himself as being better than us, he lowered his opinion of himself. In verse number six, it says, who being in the form of God thought it not right to be equal with God, but then in verse seven, but made himself of no reputation. If Jesus Christ had just lowered himself to the point of an angel, would that still have been an infinite jump from what he deserved, yes or no? It would have been an infinite jump from what he deserved. And yet, going on it says, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and jumping even farther down the totem pole, it says, and was made in the likeness of men. When Jesus Christ came down to earth, if he had just come down and been the greatest king to ever live, he had consolidated all the world powers under his rule, and he was bona fide, no one challenged him, he was an unchallenged ruler of the world as a man, would that still have been an infinite jump below what he deserved? Of course. And yet he went even farther. It says, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. So here's Jesus, the God of the universe, lowering himself down, 
over and over and over again. He comes down in the form of a man. He doesn't even just come and be the greatest man. He comes down to earth. He's born into a stable, which we talk about all, all, all this Christmas season. He comes down, he's born in a stable. There's no fanfare. There's no recognition. There's no riches to his name. Imagine being the God of the universe. And you know every single person you see, you can say, you know what, I made them. And yet they have no idea it's you. Imagine what that must have been like for Jesus. Imagine, imagine being the God of the universe and coming down to earth and for the first time in your life, you have to deal with sickness, you have to deal with diseases, you have to deal with pain and suffering. Jesus, for the first time in his in, in infinite life, he now had to experience hunger and thirst, which we see throughout scripture. It's amazing to think that God gave up as much as he did to come down to us. And yet he didn't even stop there. He lived 30 years on this earth and then he went into his ministry and the Bible says Christ came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The end of verse number eight says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the most humiliating, shameful, painful death that can possibly be imagined. Christ said, if it, if it takes that, that's what I'm willing to do for these people. And yet the Bible says that when Jesus came to die for us, we were still his enemies. We were still sinners. And yet even though we didn't deserve his gift, even though he had every reason to look down on us, he came down, he took our place, and he died for us. That is the example that we are called to follow. The first thing that we notice is that he was willing to serve. Secondly, we see not only was he willing to serve, but we talked about it just now, he was willing to serve those who didn't deserve it. So let me ask you, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to serve those in your life who have wronged you, people that you feel don't deserve the kindness that you're called to show to them as a, as a follower of Christ? He was willing to sacrifice for us. When was the last time you sacrificed for somebody else? You know, one thing that can be very easy, especially as a teenager, is it's very easy to make the world revolve around me, right? It's very easy, without even realizing it, to really shape my whole worldview with me at the center. I remember as a camper at a different camp in North Carolina, very similar to this one, I remember going to camp and I thought that God needed me. I thought, you know what? I I'm doing all the good things and everything. God really needs my help. But then someone showed me an illustration. They hung up a hula hoop in the center of the room and they said, imagine that this is your world. What do you fill your world with? He said, now let's just break it up like a pie chart and fill it with things that we have in our world. And so people started to raise their hand. He said, what do we fill our world with? The people said, sports, uh, entertainment, friends, uh, school, uh, work, sleep, whatever you wanna put in there. And then he said, okay, well, where does God fit into that, that pie chart? Where does God fit into that? And he's like, look, we filled it up really fast, but we never inserted God. So how do we fit God into there? Someone raised their hand. They said, well, you have to cut something out. And he said, well, does that mean I cut out sleep now and I don't sleep anymore? We said, no, you can't do that. He said, do I cut out my friends? Does that mean I'm not allowed to have friends anymore? We said, no, of course not. He said, does that mean that I cut school out of my life? We said, no, you need school. And he said, well, then how do you fit God into your world? We said, well, you have to make everything smaller. He's like, okay. He's like, but should he just get a little sliver on the outside like every other thing? We're like, no, you put him at the center, of course. And he was like, well, 
I hate to tell you guys, but this illustration was completely wrong. He said, this illustration is how we tend to think. He then held up the hula hoop a second time, said, I want you to forget what you just saw, and I want you to imagine that this is God's world. And he held up that hula hoop in front of all of us, and out of the side, he pulled a little tack that was so small, you didn't even realize it was there until he had it in his hand, and he put it somewhere up inside there, not even at the center. He said, that little point of the tack is a generous representation of you in God's world. He says, so often we let the world revolve around us and God's just a part of our life, but in reality, we're called to be a part of his. And the reason that we serve him is not because we have to, it's not because he needs our help. The reason we serve him is because he loves us enough to give our life that meaning. He loves us enough to give us a purpose in life. He wants us to serve him because he wants our life to be completed in him. And we, and we see that Jesus Christ was willing to sacrifice for us. He was willing to be humiliated for us. Think about that, that Jesus Christ, the one who deserved all the honor, the glory and the praise that we could ever possibly give him, was willing to sit on the cross, listen to the humiliating comments that were being made at him. He was willing to have people rip out his beard, spit on his face, slap him while he was blindfolded and say, who slapped you? He was willing to have people whip him. He was willing to have people put the nails in his hands and mock him the whole time he was dying. And instead of retaliating, his response was to continue to suffer to continue to face the cross and die for those people that were doing that to him. He faced a mockery of a trial. By Jewish standards, that trial should not have mattered for anything because they broke so many laws to make that happen. And yet even though those people that were, that were putting him on trial, that were punishing him, deserved to be there in his place when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And the interesting thing about that is when we read it in scripture, when he says, Father, forgive them, the Greek tense has the idea that it was something that was repeated, not once, but over and over and over again. So here's Jesus Christ on the cross. Death on the cross was not by bleeding out, it was by asphyxiation. As you were there on the cross, you couldn't get a breath unless you pulled yourself back up. And I can imagine Jesus, as he's lifting himself up to grab that breath, saying, Father, forgive them. Someone makes a mocking comedy, pulls himself back up for a breath. He says, Father, forgive them. He looks over, he sees those people splitting his garments and selling them, and he's saying, Father, forgive them. We didn't deserve that. And yet that is what he did for us. <coughs> we see he was humiliated for us, and then ultimately he was willing to suffer for us. That's the example that is laid out for us in scripture. That's the example that we are called to be like. But how on earth do we possibly live up to that? How on earth can we possibly live up to that life that's so sacrificial? He was so much better than us and yet he gave up so much for us. Do we have to die for him? No, he says, I want you to live for me. I want you to live your life in a way that reflects me. So if we're gonna be servants like Christ, then what do we need to do? Well, first off, we need to acknowledge our dependence on God. If you're gonna become a servant like Christ, then you're gonna need God's help to become like that. Secondly, you're gonna need to get into God's word. Now imagine this, how many of you guys in here have played a sport before? At some point in your life, you've played some type of sport. When you guys play a sport, imagine if I had never played, say, basketball in my life, and the way I played this week, I feel like it, <clears throat> but imagine I had never played basketball in my life, never picked up a rule book, never went to a practice, and I said, you know what? I'm gonna walk out onto that court and I'm gonna play like Michael Jordan. Is it gonna happen? No, I'm probably gonna travel every play, correct? 
That's if they even pass me the ball after they realize how bad I am. I'm probably gonna foul out in the first five minutes of the game. I'm gonna have no idea what I'm doing. And am I gonna accomplish my mission to become like Michael Jordan? Of course not. The same is true for you guys in this room, spiritually speaking. If you wanna become like Christ and you never spend any time in his word, if you never get to know what Christ was like, then how are you gonna be like Christ? If you don't know what God's word commands as far as what you need to do to obey him, the sin you need to put off, the things you need to put on, then how on earth are you possibly gonna get to the point where you're living a godly life? I got news for you in this room. Those of you that think I can live a godly life without having to spend time in God's words, you're gonna fall flat on your face. Don't try it. If you're gonna try it, you are gonna waste some of the best years of your life, and I mean that. Don't waste these valuable years of your life. These years of your life, you're gonna make decisions that are gonna last with you all the way through the rest of your life. So let me ask you, are you willing to get into God's word? Because if you're not, then good luck. You need God's word if you're gonna succeed in your mission to become like Christ. So you need to be in God's word. Next off, you need to get to the point where you have a lower opinion of yourself. Some of you guys in this room, you may need to go to someone and apologize for how you've treated them. Others of you, you need, to, you need to confess that to God and you say, God, you know what? I haven't really been humble at all. I've been very proud and I have really taken some major steps in the wrong direction because of my pride. But God, I need your forgiveness. The Bible says the only sin God won't forgive is the one that you won't confess. In 1 John 1, 9, it says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I have been doing things for the wrong reason. Or you know what? I haven't been serving like I'm supposed to. My life doesn't reflect God. If you're willing to confess your sin, then God is ready and willing to forgive you of your sin. Once you lower your opinion of yourself, once you change the mind, it's gonna change how you act. For instance, if I for New Year's said, I wanna go on a diet, let's say I was really overweight, I said, I wanna go on a diet, I wanna get in really good shape this year, I need to change the way I think about food, right? So maybe I was going to Krispy Kreme every week, maybe I was eating a bunch of pop, or drinking a bunch of pop, maybe I was eating a bunch of sweets and desserts all the time. I gotta get to the point where I look at the pop, I look at the Krispy Kreme donuts, I look at the junk food in my life and I say, you know what? If I keep drinking this, nothing is going to change. I need to change the way I think about that food and I need to start patterning myself in eating the right type of food. The same is true spiritually. If you're gonna see victory this year, you need to put off the sin in your life. You need to change the way you think and you need to put on Christ-likeness. And as you put on Christ-likeness, as you're reading God's word, you need to allow God's word to not just be something that informs you but something that affects you. As you read God's word and you see things about Jesus Christ, and for instance, we talked about God forgiving people. We talked about Jesus on the cross saying forgive them. We need to ask ourselves, do I forgive like Christ? We see Jesus Christ constantly sacrificing his own time to serve people that didn't, that did, that didn't deserve his love. Do I serve like that? We see Jesus Christ knowingly serving Judas Iscariot, knowing that in just in a matter of hours, Judas would betray him, which would ultimately lead to his death. And yet he washed his feet. Am I willing to be kind and serve someone even when they've wronged me like that? Am I willing to treat someone right that will never return the favor? If we're willing to look at God's word and allow God's word to shape us, then we're gonna have an amazing 2020 
we're gonna have a year where we see major spiritual victory as we seek to become more like Christ. Now in closing, my question to you is what are you known as? I'm not asking you what do your friends think about you. I'm not asking you what your parents think about you or what your youth pastor thinks about you because you can put on a facade for everybody else but you can't hide from God who you really are. What are you known as in God's eyes? Does God see you and say that's a servant? That person reflects my character. That person reminds me a lot of me. Or would God see you and say, you know what, they, they, they say they're trying to be like me. They say that they're godly, but man, they're nothing like me at all. You know what, how many of you guys have ever played sports with someone who claims that they're very, very good at whatever sport they're playing in, and then you play against them and they're absolutely terrible. You know, when you play with those people, they're like, man, get me on your team and we're, I'm gonna carry our team to the promised land, right? And so you get them on your team and then you guys like, he gets that ball, that first play, you know, he goes to shoot on the basket. And I mean, he doesn't even hit backboard. It goes flying over the backboard. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, that's false advertising. Like someone, like, get this guy off my team. This is ridiculous. Is that what God would say about you, that you're false advertising yourself, that you say you're one way, but really you're nothing like him? You know what? This year could be the year where you decide, you know what? I'm gonna get in God's word. I'm gonna get to know my God and then I'm gonna determine that I'm gonna serve like him. So going back to the beginning, we said the church of Philippi was split apart. They were disunified because they were constantly butting heads. Imagine what could be done in this room and the youth groups represented here. If you would go home and instead of stop trying to elevate yourself up above somebody else or another group, instead of trying to do things just to look good, you just said, God, I wanna serve you. You know what, God, I wanna serve others. Imagine what would happen in your youth group if you went home and just said, you know what, I'm gonna serve. Where's somewhere, youth, my youth pastor, you go to them and say, you know what, where's somewhere that I can help right now? You look around, you see someone new come to the youth group and instead of that person sitting there by themselves, you say, you know what, I'd really like to be with my friends right now, but I'm gonna serve and go sit with that person so they feel welcome here. Imagine the difference. If everybody in this room had that mindset that you could make in your churches, in your youth groups, in your schools, and in your homes, you know, God wants to use you to reach our world. But if you're constantly not living like it, if you're not serving like him, then you're not gonna be very effective for him. But if you determine this year, I'm gonna serve like Christ, I'm gonna get in God's word, I'm gonna lower my opinion to myself and start seeking to raise others up, then you're gonna be amazed to see what God's gonna do with you here in 2020. So my challenge to you, what are you known as? What would God say about you? And if he wouldn't say that you're a servant, if he wouldn't say that you're like him, then what do you need to do to change? In a moment, we're gonna pray and I'm gonna give you a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes and just ask God, God, you know what? I haven't been living like you. God, I haven't been serving like you. God, I'm full of pride. I, I'm really not where I need to be spiritually, but I wanna be. Lord, I wanna be a servant like you. Can you help me? And if you're willing to confess your sins, God is willing to forgive you your sins. You can start 2020 with a clean slate as you seek to become more like him.
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.